Welcome to the latest episode of the Climate Conversation. I am Dan Brissett, Executive Director of the Environmental and Energy Study Institute. And today uh, we are recording on a cold February day, at least here in Washington, D.C. Uh, and to make ourselves feel a little bit better about our weather, we are going to be interviewing an Arctic expert from the great state of Alaska. But before we get to our program today, let me welcome my intrepid co-host uh, my, and my ESI colleague, Sydney O'Shaughnessy. Hey, Sydney, how are you doing today? Hi, Dan. I'm very excited to be here, just like I am every week, because we have another awesome guest to interview today. Totally agree. Uh, and specifically, we're going to be talking with Rick Toman, um, and I'll let Sid do the introduction. But the reason we're going to be talking to Rick today uh, is because the most recent uh, edition of the Arctic Report Card came out at the end of last year. And this report shows the current state of different components of the Arctic environmental system. And it's intended for a wide range of people, including all of the people that we like to talk to all across our platforms, including educators, policymakers, students, scientists, and concerned citizens, people who, like you listening right now, are concerned about climate change and want to do something about it. And the Arctic is a fascinating topic. And we feel like the report card uh, is a really important data point, and it's one that we need to bring to our audience. So really excited to talk to Rick. Sid, why don't I turn it over to you for an intro? Sounds great. Rick Toman is an Alaska climate specialist with the Alaska Center for Climate Assessment and Policy at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. He is an expert in Alaska climate and weather and produces reliable Alaska climate change information and graphics describing Alaska's changing environment. His work spans the bridge between climate modeling, Alaska communities, and media. So we brought him on today to discuss the findings of the Arctic report card, the current state of the Arctic, and how the region has changed due to the due to the impacts of climate change. So lots to cover, um, but I think it's gonna be a really great conversation. So welcome to the show, Rick. Thanks very much, uh, Sydney, and thanks, Dan, and thanks for having me. Should be a nice discussion today. Great, so I think we should just jump right in. Um, my first question always, when we are interviewing people who are you know, working on these big reports about the environment is to ask what role did you play with this report? So what, what kind of aspect did you contribute to the 2020 Arctic report card? And, and also why is this an important report for people to know about? Sure, so um, I have contributed to different uh, chapters in the Arctic report card for a number of years, uh, mostly uh, concerning uh, Arctic air temperature, and also um, wildfire. And uh, so I've been involved at, at that level, was at the co-author level for uh, some years. And um, in the spring of 2020, I was asked if I would be interested in being one of the general editors of the report card and um, sounded like an exciting thing to do. And uh, so I took that on. So uh, I wound up being the lead editor for the Arctic Report Card this year. Uh, and what that means is the way the Arctic Report Card is put together, we've got subject matter experts in a, you know, more than a dozen fields who volunteer their time. This is not paid, this is volunteer time to put together these short essays on uh, specific topics that they are experts in. And the general editor's role is basically to, to herd those essays into one. One of the most important uh, 
parts of this that I found were working, of course, with world-class experts, academics, and we really have to push them to step out of that academic paper writing style because we want the essays in the Arctic report card to be understandable by anybody that with an interest in the topic. So these experts are not writing for their peers. They are writing for, if you will, the interested layman audience. And some people find that easier to do than others. So that, uh, in addition to kind of the normal things you might think an editor would do, that's actually a big part of it. We have many editors that have done this for years. They kind of know the style and the routine, and those are pretty easy, but there's always a new people coming in, um, people retiring, new folks stepping up. So that's a big part of the role, but uh, there are three of the three general editors and uh, with them, um, this year, um, you know, more than a dozen essays. It's a very intense time because one of the most important aspects of the of the Arctic Report Card, of course, is reviewing um, the summer conditions. And to have a full peer-reviewed report ready to go in early December, when you're reporting on things that didn't occur at the end of September, that means autumn is incredibly busy for everyone involved. Well, that's so interesting. And honestly, um, science and environmental communication is something that is very near and dear to my heart. So I'm so happy you brought it up because definitely switching between that academic writing style and tra like transcribing or transforming that information for a layman audience is a very challenging task. And I'm very thankful and happy for all of the work that you've been doing. Um, sounds like an amazing report. Can't wait to dive into it a little bit more. So um, yeah, the second part of the question that you asked was, okay, why is this important? Um, so this was the 15th annual uh, report card. And uh, so at this point, it provides a very handy, easy to find, easy to get to uh, resource over that time, a time that has featured dramatic change in the Arctic. Um, it's, it's, as we talked about, uh, easy to digest, we report on the same, what we call our vital signs. So the same parameters are there year after year. Uh, and I think with that, with that, now we have this history, I think that is an actually a really important part of the Arctic report card. It's a, a one-stop shop for quick, what's happening now in the Arctic. And we've got the 15 years of that. You can see how, how that has evolved. In fact, we have an essay in this year's report card on the history by um, Jack to, Jackie Richter Mengi, who has been an editor of the report card for every single one of them. And she's, uh, she's retired now. This was her last uh, one. So she wrote a very nice retrospective. And it's interesting to read how, what, not so much the goals of the Arctic Report Card, which have been pretty set, but the importance of things. When it started in 2006, it wasn't because somebody thought the Arctic might be warming. Everybody knew it. But the rate of change that we've seen since then has really made that 2006 start quite, uh, quite fortuitous in retrospect. Well, congratulations, Rick. Uh, this was your first go-round as editor, right? That's correct. I've been a contributing author in specific chapters, and I was again this year, but this was my first role, uh, first time as, an, as a general editor. 
Well, congratulations. Uh, and, um, you know, job well done. Um, understanding that the report card is made up of multiple essays on multiple topics. Um, for our listeners who haven't had a chance to go look at it yet, what would you say are some bottom line takeaways that perhaps run across the different essays? Are there any through lines or trends that you would like to highlight from the 15th edition? Uh, I think the, the biggest uh, thread that runs through, which we try to draw out, is that while we have individual chapters on air temperature, on sea ice, on tundra greening, what runs through all of this is how much of this is interconnected. That yes, for, for perhaps the, out of the Western science tradition, we have these specific topics that get talked about, but in reality, these are all interconnected. You can't understand Arctic warming without understanding what's happening with sea ice, with what's happening with ocean temperatures, with what, without understanding what's happening on the land. So I think that interconnectedness is, is really the, the big thread that uh, Western science is just now I wouldn't say coming to appreciate that's always been there. I mean, that's what ecology is, right? But um, particularly in the physical sciences, uh, this is new. And with the Arctic Report Card, we're, we're trying to really emphasize that. In 2019 Arctic Report Card, we did have an essay uh, by, uh, that was uh, conceived and led by indigenous experts in Western Alaska focused on the Bering Sea. And we had one planned for this year that had to be canceled because of COVID and travel restrictions, but that will be going forward a, a annual feature of the Arctic Report Card. And that's an effort to bring in not just other viewpoints, not just the viewpoints from indigenous people within the Arctic, but what they bring to the table that a different way of knowing than the, the um, traditionally stovepiped Western science view. And because of this interrelatedness uh, in the Arctic, we view this as critical. That's fascinating. And we've uncovered and learned so much about sort of that way of thinking that you just described. Um, in our um, Coastal Resilience Report we released last October, uh, we go on, and, and of course we had an Alaska Coastal Resilience Briefing, so there are definitely some Alaskan themes uh, and we learned all about traditional ecological knowledge, and um, it's it's fascinating. And you're right; it's it's not just a different perspective; it's a different mindset; it's a different approach, um, and uh, it's really really valuable. And and I'm hopeful that that people are more aware of that uh, going forward. Yeah, it's it's uh, really what we need to do with with environmental change so advanced in the Arctic. We we have no choice, even as we do uh, things uh, like mitigation, as there's global efforts to uh, stabilize um, the Earth's climate. In the Arctic, the change is so advanced already, we have no choice other than fairly substantial adaptation. And without this, this interconnected holistic view, we can be sure that that short-term um, kind of, uh, you know, right uh, uh, knee-jerk adaptations 
are not likely to be successful in the long term. And even if, if some of the most ambitious goals for maintaining global temperatures, say at a degree and a half above pre-industrial areas, that's still warmer than we are now. And that means the Arctic is going to be even different than it used to be, even in the best case scenarios. So I think it's more than just, it, it is more than just the science of why we want to look at the whole interconnected uh, network that is the Arctic ecosystem, the human system, but we have to do that in order to successfully adapt to this new Arctic. Um, I like that you just said the words um, adapt to the new Arctic. I did notice that in the most recent report card, that was a theme that kind of went through it. I read, quote, the sustained transformation to a warmer, less frozen and biologically changed Arctic remains clear. So that is that new Arctic that you're talking about. But can you really break that down and describe what that means for us? Sure. Um, and that, you know, that really comes out well, that comes out from the 15-year history of the Arctic Report Card, but you know that that um, that sentence came from me, and based in part on my um, you, you know 30 going on 35 years of living in Alaska. That yes, there's year-to-year -year variation, and that's always going to occur. But it's perfectly clear when you look at the trends that. You know, it, this wasn't just a one-off. It wasn't just a two-off. That the trends are clear, and in the Arctic, especially the changes in the frozen part of our world, whether it's sea ice, whether it's uh, snow cover, the seasonality of those things, these changes are here to stay. And and the the fifteenth annual report Arctic report card shows that. Um, quite clearly, and it's it would be a mistake to read it as oh well Siberia was was hot in 2019-20, but oh look it's it's winter 2021 and now they're really really cold. See, there's no problem. That's the wrong way to read that. Um, when you look at even the relatively short term trends, even just over the 21st century, the first first fifth of the 21st century. The, the direction we're going is unmistakable, unambiguous. And so you could say that the actual climate of the Arctic is changed. It's not what it used to be and it never will be again. Not, certainly not in the lifetimes of anyone listening to this. Um, it will not be like it was uh, prior to um, say the, the 1980s. Um, uh, you know, by definition, multi-year sea ice takes multi-years to grow. Um, there's no shortcut around that. Um, the changes that we see in the oceans in particular with, of course, that's where the majority of the excess warmth is going. Um, that's there for, for decades to come. Uh, so we are not going back to an Arctic that is anything like what it was prior to the late 20th century. And because of those changes in the cryosphere, in the frozen part of our world, that has massive implications to the ecosystem, to the way people make their living, to what you're going to have for dinner tonight. Those are the kinds of changes. And that's different than 
much of the lower and mid latitudes at this point. Definitely. I mean, we just published an article about the intangible um, effects of climate change. And it was really about like how cultures um, are just going to shift dramatically because of the effects of climate change. Um, but I definitely can see your point there. And oh, it's crazy. Well, you know, there's a, a there's a, a technical term for it. And I, I don't know that I remember it exactly. Solastasia or something like that. The the loss of the, the the loss of that the home feeling, and that I can tell you from personal experience that is very very real. Um, that's it's real for me. This is not the Fairbanks that that of of my younger days in the 1990s even. Um, we get much less autumn snow. We've got bugs flying around at Halloween. That never used to happen. Um, I've heard it from, from indigenous people who have made the point that, you know, all calories are not created equal. The traditional foods of indigenous peoples mean much more than just the caloric content. There's an entire part of culture bound up in that and taking that away and replacing it with, you know, uh, hungry man frozen dinner is not the same. And, and, and that is, it, that's very difficult to quantify, but that doesn't make it any less real. Exactly. And I think that's why it's so important to amplify all of the voices of the people who are involved and live, you know, in in these types of, in this region, in the Arctic. But I don't wanna go down a doom and gloom hole here because at ESI, we really pride ourselves in being solutions oriented. So I think Dan is going to ask a question now to kind of pivot the conversation into like, yes, we, we all agree that the Arctic is changing, but how can we, you know, help? Yeah, that's exactly kind of where I was thinking. So when we, at the top of the podcast, we sort of talked about the audiences for the report card. And there's a lot of overlap between those audiences and our audiences. One of those overlaps in particular is policymakers. And policymakers are, they need the information about the current state. They need the information about the trends, but uh, many of them, many of the best ones um, are the ones looking for solutions. And so as you reflect back on the 2020 uh, Arctic report card, um, what recommend, what advice would you have for policymakers and their staff as they approach it and how they might incorporate it into their work on developing climate um, mitigation and adaptation policies? Well, I think that in that regard, the best use of the Arctic report card is, is to take that, to take that really that line that, that Sydney um, mentioned the sustained transformation to a warmer, less frozen, biologically changed Arctic is here. Believe that. Okay, that's, that's what it is. How do we work with that? How do we construct policies that, that acknowledge that change that we're seeing and is here? How do we construct policies that will allow tribes, states, countries, business to coexist with equity in that changed environment. 
I think that's that's where the Arctic report card can meet the policy realm at all levels, from international to local to individual, is, is this is what we've got, believe it. Work within that framework of a, of a changed Arctic to develop now policies that will, will be just for everyone involved, not just transnational corporations, not just the military, but right down to the individual, to the community that are looking for, okay, what are we gonna eat today? What's for dinner? So across that whole scale, I think the policies that, that will allow every player in, that, in the Arctic to, to get what they need in this changed Arctic, that's, that's the value I think of the Arctic report card, potential value of the Arctic report card. Oh, I think we can say value. I think we can remove the word potential from it. Uh, it's a really impressive document, and um, you know, congratulations again on, on on being able to pull it all together and um, present it in such a compelling way uh, and an accessible way. Um, the information's great, but the accessibility of it, I think, deserves a lot of kudos. So, congratulations. Thank you. Well, Rick, uh, thank you so much on behalf of Sid and the rest of EESI and our audience. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, once again, great work on the Arctic Report Card. Um, do you think you'll be back in the saddle for 2021? Um, I, I will be. Um, we'll have we have a great uh, great team uh, for 2021 lined up. Uh, myself, uh, Matt Druckenmiller, who was a this will be his third year as a general editor and with, um, with uh, Jackie Richter Mangi's retirement, uh, Twyla Moon from the University of Colorado, who's been a, a co-author or lead author on, on uh, Arctic Report Card Essays will be joining us. So we hope that it is uh, a, and expect it will be a, a seamless transition and 2021 will bring us another um, NOAA-sponsored uh, high-quality Arctic Report Card. Great. Well, that's uh, great to know. Uh, Rick, before we sign off for the day, are there any other uh, reports or resources that you have been working on or your colleagues have been working on that you would like to make our audience aware of? So coming up, uh, one of the things that the, the Arctic Report Card editors uh, contribute, as well as the Arctic Report Card, is we are the main editors for uh, the, uh, the annual State of the Climate Report that's put out by the uh, American Meteorological uh, Society every year. So we will be uh, with, uh, with some of the people that contributed to the Arctic Report Card, we will be editing the Arctic section. And so um, that's of course a little bit higher, a little bit more technical uh, level than the Arctic Report Card. It's not nearly as timely of course, uh, but that um, it becomes kind of the definitive uh, state of the climate. One thing that some people like is that, um, unlike the Arctic report card, because of the, the time constraints, we have this weird year, basically October to September. The, uh, the, the uh, AMS report will be for the calendar year, so some people find that uh, easier to work with. Um, here in Alaska, I will plug, um, we have a brand new publication out on uh, Alaska's changing wildfire environment. Uh, just came out um, um, in the last couple of months. And that takes a look 
again, at the very layman accessible terms on how wildfire in Alaska has uh, changed and what that means. Um, many people don't think of Alaska as, uh, in, and in terms of wildfire, you think of snow and cold. But of course, uh, in many years, Alaska burns more acreage than all of the lower 48 uh, put together. So um, we have that br brand new publication out and that's, um, that's pretty exciting as well. Thanks, Rick. Uh, Sid, you wanna take us out? Sure. Um, before I do though, I just wanted to ask Rick about his, is it called Clima TV or what videos do you put out? I literally love them. Um, yeah, so that's something, that, that's something I'm hoping to do. Um, part of my work is providing, a, a large fraction of my work is making climate information accessible um, to rural Alaska, especially Western Alaska where climate change is, is one, most advanced, and two, um, people don't have access to the information they need. Bandwidth is poor. Traditional um, media remains strong. Um, regional radio stations, regional newspapers. So um, for instance, I provide a weekly climate minute for three Western Alaska radio stations. I write a, a weekly article for the newspaper in Nome. And my, my climate TV is an idea to, um, again, make it in a format that would be accessible to people without, without high bandwidth, almost exclusively on, on mobile devices. Um, you know, a little five minute, you know, here's the climate outlook for next month kind of thing. Um, haven't gotten that off the ground yet due to, there's only one of me in 24 hours. But um, that's an idea that we have, that basically there would be a, a video cast. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with, um, with um, Levi Cohen um, of Tropical Tidbits. Um, during, when there's hurricanes, he provides a, a really nice uh, YouTube video um, where he's talking about, you know, it's a technical thing, but he's talking about, he draws on the screen and stuff. It's really cool. And I would like to do something like that for, um, for climate so that, that folks, who, who don't have high bandwidth can easily get to the information that um, urban areas take for granted. Well, I think that work is completely vital and necessary and I have loved the videos you've put up so far. So I would recommend that as well as for our listeners, as well as checking out these upcoming reports and recent reports, you should definitely check out these, these videos as well. But. Anybody have any last thoughts before I sign off? All right, here we go. If you want to learn more about EESI's work, head to our website at eesi.org. Also, follow us on social media at EESI Online for all of our recent updates. The Climate Conversation is published as a supplement to our bi-weekly newsletter, Climate Change Solutions. Go to eesi.org slash sign up to subscribe. Thanks for joining us. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for listening and see you next time.